0: And here we go, you're listening to Rumination Thursday Law and Gospel on this July the 30th in the year of our Lord, 2020. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and with me on the phone is my co-host, Reverend Wes Reimnitz. Hi, Wes.
1: Hi, Tom. How are you?
0: Well, I'm doing really good. Although I get a little depressed each time we do this particular one because we're taking a look at worship nightmares.
1: Boy, it is a nightmare.
0: Boy, I tell you. We're we're picking up off of a, a program you can get on YouTube called Kitchen Nightmares where a chef goes to restaurants and shows all the things they're doing wrong, why they're not making money, why people aren't coming in and tries to help them. Well, I got the idea. Worship nightmares is when you have worship that is a nightmare to God because it is contrary to his word. This is our third week. The first week, you pointed out some hymns that were really atrocious that people actually sing during worship services about why Uh, The gay lifestyle is an okay lifestyle. And then uh, last week, uh, we took a look at parables and how often they become a nightmare, telling us what we are to do rather than what Jesus has done. Uh, Today, we decided to kind of take a look what our church is doing in regard to the confession of sins and the absolution. And uh, you you kind of took a look at some of the Reformed. What did you discover?
1: I found a yes and a no to that.
0: Well, yes, I'm a sinner, and no, I'm forgiven? Or well, what do you mean by that?
1: <laughs> well, on the national level, level, on some of the Reformed churches in their in their hymnals, they do have a confession of sins. But uh, when it comes to absolution, they call it the assurance of pardon, that uh, you've been pardoned of your sins. And, but if you go to the local level and look at some of the local churches and, and view some of their their services, there is no confession of sins. There is no absolution. It's just uh, everything's hunky-dory, in fact, like one one uh, opening hymn uh, that they Praise God, God's worthy of our praise, and we should be praising Him because He's done great things. Well, they never talk about until later in the sermon or something like that about Jesus dying on the cross. The pardon is He's just an awesome God. So you know that's that's the greatness.
0: And so when we begin our absolution upon this, your confession. Confession. Uh, they don't have that in the sense of that they've really, truly confessed their sins and gone against Jesus who died for them on the cross. And therefore, the absolution isn't that comforting.
1: No, there um, there are specific liturgies that the, that some of them have. I, let me read one of them to you, which was sure. Woman's, Woman's Day you know, uh, service. Oh God, universal architect, you created the church to be a community, a family with many members. Forgive us if we treated other persons as if they did not matter. Forgive us for discriminating against others and giving some persons high recognitions while rejecting those from our community. We have blessed, uh, we held back not sharing our resources. Forgive us For our different, we pray through Jesus Christ who receives all persons to be made citizens. So it's a a generic confession of discrimination and and treatment.
0: What was that about citizens? Again, read that part.
1: About the citizens? Right. Uh, Okay. Forgive us, we pray through Jesus Christ who receives all persons to be made citizens and also members of God's family. So... Citizens of the world. You know, it started out, oh God, the universal architect.
0: Yeah. You know, this is a real problem that I see in uh, social ministry throughout uh, the world. Uh, The reason we're to love everybody is because we're all citizens of God's kingdom, and they don't make a distinction between believers and unbelievers. Yeah that that was lacking
1: in that one especially yeah good point.
0: Yes. You you need to analyze what a confession of sin is. Now of course the Lutheran church and this is what I looked at came out of the Roman Catholic church and people will say well that's not fair to compare our confession of sins today with what the Roman Catholic church taught during the reformation. But what I'm doing is taking a look at what they say today is confession and also your sins. For example, today they talk about the four mortal sins. Mm -hmm. And these four mortal sins join the list of lust, gluttony, avarice, sloth, anger, envy, and pride. These are the gravest kind which threaten the soul with eternal damnation unless absolved before death through confession or penitence. Hmm. Now, what I find interesting there, is there anything in the Bible you can think of that destroys this understanding of of the distinction between what they call mortal and venial sins. Well, doesn't it say all have sin? Yes, all have sin. Like they'll ask this question. This is Roman theology today. Is lying a mortal or venial sin? They say it can be a mortal sin, The gravity is measured by the truth it deforms, the circumstances, the intentions of the one who lies, and the harm suffered by its victims. If it's not a grave matter, lying is a venial sin, and therefore it's not a mortal sin. Now, I don't see that anywhere in Scripture, uh, you, you get portals of prayer, don't you? Yeah. I've been yes, impressed by the devotions written by Mrs. Hannah Jackson. Uh, she's not only here in St. Louis, but she's also a member of the congregation that President Harrison is a part time pastor at. And here's what she wrote for today, July 30th. A mother discovers one piece missing from the cake. She calls her children for questioning. According to them, not me is the culprit. None of the children are named not me. Last week, not me also broke a beloved teacup. It's quite the mystery, or maybe not so much. And she writes... On the last day, all will stand before God. Heaven and hell are real. This is not joyful for non-believers, as hell offers them God's wrath. But we believers rejoice as nothing can separate us from God's love. While here on earth, we ask God help to use our vocations to point others to Jesus. This is truly a matter of life or death, heaven or hell, love or fire, eternally. Now, I've been somewhat impressed by these devotions, and some people may ask, well, how come the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod doesn't permit women ordination? We're not saying that women are unable to be able to teach, say, a Bible study or Sunday school with great insight women also can learn the distinctions between law and gospel why God has said women cannot be pastors that is what his word says and I put it in the same category that women only can have babies men cannot it's part of the created and redeemed order of God so we're not saying that women can't be good teachers. They can learn theology. Some of them even attend the seminary. And these devotions are really good. If you're at all interested in getting them, all you have to do is phone CPH at, and, and here's the phone number. It's, I had it here a second ago. Um one eight hundred three two five three zero four zero, 325 3040 and have the portals of prayer sent to your home. Now, there's an example where the kids only stole some cake. And apart from forgiveness, if you're an unbeliever doing that, that sin deserves eternal damnation. Uh do you remember anything from the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus makes that point?
1: About which?
0: That it doesn't matter well, to the sin.
1: It doesn't matter the sin. All sin corrupts what is hidden will will be made in the light.
0: All everything that we do. Yeah, the distinction he makes and this destroys mortal and venial characteristics. He talks about, you've heard it said, thou shalt not murder. And people, of course, mean by doing violence against someone. But then he says, but I tell you, if you even have a bad thought against someone or say a bad word against them, that deserves eternal damnation.
1: Well, does it, isn't it... Uh how should i put it In our in our liturgy we, we confess all sins what we have done what we have left undone you know any anything we 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 know that we we need to confess whereas some of these that i've been looking at they just talk about specific sins and it's like you you know overlooking some of the other sins that that we often commit here you're talking about everything
0: yes yes Even those sins that are good works we omit to do, which we may not even be aware of. Mm. And that's why we ask God in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our sins. Now, here's a, um, and you tell me if you hear something wrong. This is part of a confession of sins in the Roman church. I confess to Almighty God and to you, Father, that would be the priest, that I have sinned through my own fault in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done, in what I have failed to do, and I ask, Blessed Mary, Ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, Father, to pray for me to the Lord our God.
1: Yeah, I wondered when you were going to get to asking the Blessed Mary Mary and the saints for forgiveness.
0: What does that say to you about a confession that you have to go through people who are lying in the grave, in the body? Their spirits may be in heaven, but uh, Mary isn't able to hear anybody any more than Abraham does. What does that say to you about the process in getting forgiven
1: you have to find somebody is is no longer uh, Christ alone uh, Christ is not the you know, well we're, we're told to pray in Christ's name we're told to go to him uh, and have faith in him and we're putting our faith in something else
0: yes it's as though Mary and the saints are more powerful than Jesus.
1: Well, you know what they—I've heard heard them, Catholics say—and this I, I've heard them over the years. Several of them say that. Well, you know, Jesus is just too busy, so that's why you go to Mary and the saints.
0: Yeah, that means he's not omnipotent, which means what? Yeah. He's not God. He's not all powerful. Powerful, yeah. To be all-knowing means you can do anything at any time. Uh, I mean, I've been quite amazed. I like looking at YouTube, and last night uh, they were talking about a kind of a jungle forest in Brazil where there are all kinds of strange animals and such, and uh, millions and millions of termites eaten by anteaters the ant eaters there don't eat ants they eat termites and i'm i'm looking at all this and god is watching over all this making sure these animals have their food i mean he is kind of directing everything that happens in that forest where very few people are and we just don't understand what we talk about when we say that god is almighty and all present and we don't realize that he's almighty and all present in our life also watching over us
1: well like he, like it also says there in the sermon on the mount he counts the very hairs on our head he knows down to the last hair with every mute detail of our
0: lives yes now there's one thing i mentioned in i haven't mentioned yet in the absolution in roman theology the absolution always involves what is called penance Mm. let me read this to you this is from roman theology if necessary the priest helps the penitent to make an integral confession and gives him suitable counsel He urges him to be sorry for his faults, reminding him that through the sacrament of penance, the Christian dies and rises with Christ and is thus renewed in the paschal mystery. The priest proposes an act of penance, which the Mm. penitent accepts to make satisfaction for sin and to amend his life. Well, what's penance?
1: Well, it's a it's in, in that instance it's a it's a work righteousness, is it not?
0: Exactly. It's a work of righteousness. Uh, for example, uh, I've heard priests say, "Well, to be penitent, you need to say ten Our Fathers and ten Hail Marys." Or they give them some tasks they have to do in helping out the poor. And this is how they die and rise with Christ. What do we believe about absolution that shows how we died and rose with Christ?
1: Well, we we when we give absolution, we do it in the name of Christ, who, as his under-shepherds, That we forgive their sins, and
0: once forgiven, they're gone. Exactly. We use the gift of the forgiveness of sins rather than penance. In fact, um, go ahead. It's
1: interesting that you bring up Roman Catholic theology that talks about penance or work righteousness. You hear the same thing in the assurance of the Reformed. They, They call it assurance of pardon. They don't necessarily. I, I say call it absolution. For instance, one says, "Brothers and sisters, let us work for the good of all and for those in the family of faith." So, we'll just go ahead and believe in the gospel. So, on the one hand, it's believing the gospel. On the other hand, let's let's work for the betterment.
0: This is a huge improper distinction between law and gospel, because when you're giving someone the forgiveness of sins, the gospel, you don't add the law to it at all. And to say that you're forgiven, therefore let's go work with those who need to hear from us and get help from us, that is a misunderstanding of division of law and gospel. In fact, here's a prayer that the penitent in the Roman Church, says, My God, I am sorry for my sins with all my heart. In choosing to do wrong and failing to do good, I have sinned against you, whom I should love above all things. I firmly intend, with your help, to do penance, to sin no more, and to avoid whatever leads me to sin,
1: yeah, you know, you take out the word penance and put in some other language, and it sounds just like the reform confessions that I've been reading.
0: Well, also the idea that no longer will I sin. Mm-hmm. The, the fact of the matter is, as soon as you get the absolution, you may be sinning even in church when you look over and see somebody well-dressed and say, well, he must think he's more important than me because I can't afford that clothes or whatever. Sin is constant, and that's why we need the constant forgiveness of sin, because it is impossible for us to stop sinning. That's our old Adam.
1: Right. and. Therein lies when, when we do it early in the in the in the service this absolution that I, as a called and ordained of so the word, announce the grace of God unto you and in the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins. Jesus died for all our sins, not just a few of them
0: and, and that's an important distinction you made there that no pastor has the power to forgive anyone's sins, but we have the authority to do so because we're speaking on behalf of Jesus Christ.
1: Right. So it's much more than some experience that's there. Is It's the firm words of Christ that I forgive you.
0: Yes. And that's what he's commanded me to say to you. It's kind of like when we do the Lord's Supper. When we do the words of institution, it's as though Jesus is speaking through our mouth. This is my body. This is my blood. And so we only become the voice of Jesus. Uh, How does that happen, say, at infant baptism?
1: Through the Holy Spirit that comes down, It's water and the Word... But uh, it's also the Holy Spirit coming to us.
0: And that word may be spoken by the pastor, but it's always the word of Christ. Baptize you into the name of the Father Father. and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.
1: You're right, Matthew 28.
0: How would you therefore define a proper sermon?
1: (laughs) A proper sermon... It would be on on a lesson for the day that would speak about the law of what we have done and the gospel where Christ has died and, and given us the forgiveness of sins.
0: And what are the words that are used?
1: Well, the words are 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 the scriptures themselves, the very scri- scripture readings that we would have. The, or the yeah, the or point the I'm trying Bible. to make.
0: The point I'm trying to make is that baptism and the Lord's supper, the words are the words of Jesus. Right. So, in a sermon, a proper sermon is always quoting Jesus. Right. Right. If you don't quote Jesus. It's not a proper sermon. And a lot of people say, well, Jesus never spoke in the Old Testament and or in uh, Romans or this. But they forget that all Scripture is inspired by God, and that's really important to understand. But aren't they also
1: saying in their churches when they're preaching, they're preaching the Word of God?
0: They say they're preaching the Word of God, but as we saw last week with the parables, They're giving a lot of times their own interpretation. So, tomorrow on Law and Gospel, we're going to uh, speak to a subject we've spoken of before. I've got an email on that. So, join us tomorrow. Uh, Today, we hope that I, Tom Baker, and Wes Reimnitz showed you once more horrible worship nightmares.